Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I want to begin with a very bold statement that I think is important. I think you will agree with. Okay. Well, it depends how bold it is. Rugby needs more chance. It does. It does. I like where you go with this. It's like, I think it's really, really vital and really, really important. Yeah. We were just talking before we started recording about kind of fan culture and rugby Mm -hmm. not being what it is in football. Look, there's many people who would say that's a great thing, but I think we need more booing of the kicker. I think we need more tribalism. I think we need more... Yobbishness. I'm yeah, done with yobbishness in rugby. You know, and we, we said this before when we went to we went to the Wales England women's game earlier mm. in the year in the Six Nations, and I was just there. I'm just gonna be a yob. I'm just gonna like just yeah. be there, like mouthing off at Abby Dow the whole time, <laughs> just calling her a bottler and whatever. I love Abby Dow, so you know, yeah, it's maybe not the case. But rugby does need yobbishness. It needs less respect and less values. I think there's too much respect. I think there's much too much respect. And I think there's much too, like, I don't know if you remember, there was, you know, the rugby's on? Yeah, The best TV show ever. The best TV show anyone's ever seen. Yeah. When they had a go at Gloucester fans, saying like, oh, I never trust Gloucester fans. You know, they're they're always dodgy. There's dodgiest fans in rugby. Is this Hal Crottenden? It was indeed. Saying, you know, like, oh, it's it's always a problem. You know, my father always warned me about Gloucester fans, that you can't trust any of them. When what they mean is, Gloucester are the only area in England that have primarily working class fan base. You know, that's, that's what this really means. I think we need more of the sheds. We need more of that. We need more ridiculous chants. You know, like Cardiff has started to really catch on in the last few years. The Dragons were always great for it. Yeah. That's great. It's great. It's that's great. so it's great. Good. We need more of that. Isn't it a thing that apparently Jack Van Portfleet has a special talent for making yes. chants about his teammates? This is something that Freddie Burns said in the wake mm. of the Premiership final. Was him, like, you know, Wiggy's won the Prem again and all of this kind of stuff. That's, like, that's so good. Him and Freddie Stewart about like to sit at the back of the team bus coming up with the chants together. Yeah. Uh, which I hope they're doing that in England. I hope they do that in the World Cup coming up and we get to hear some of them. Yeah. Because the only time when people are in camp we get to hear a lot of like actually inside stuff. I, I actually had it a couple of weeks ago where I had a song stuck in my head and... I then just turned it into a rugby player champ mm. because I realised, oh, this rhymes with that and I can turn it into that. I'm not going to say it here because it's rubbish, but <laughs> I if I can one do day... That constantly, though. Yeah, we've all done it. Yeah. Like, if I had like 200 friends that I brought to a rugby game and I could turn this yeah. into a proper channel... Look, can we just turn the Squidge Rugby Channel into a way of broadcasting really shit? Yeah, yeah yobbishness well, like, in rugby. I had this at the... Uh, when the Ospreys beat Leicester mm. and like me and a small group of Ospreys fans stood at the front like, you know cheering and all of that like as he did like a victory lap at the stadium of Wilford Road and here's the thing right there is one chance yeah which is just the word Osprey said like three different ways yeah, yeah and yeah. it is rubbish like we, need, we made this his point name is a shop like, his name <laughs> is a shop Leno John Lewis his name is a shop we need that in rugby we desperately need that because like we need people to get drunk to... and think of stuff like that and look, Rodney Parade has been holding up its end of the bargain for a long time, and the rest of the game needs to pull its finger out. Yeah. However, this Rugby World Cup in 2007, there was one that did the rounds, 
there was one that started to grow amongst the Australian fan base. Okay. And I'm going to regale you with this chant now. Okay, hit me. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. If Gitto don't get you, Mortlock must. No, that's great. So this comes via the old BBC blog, which has been a good resource for this. So basically, for the BBC blog for 2007, they sent Tom Fordyce, BBC sports writer, yeah. supreme, lovely, wonderful man, and this guy Ben Durs, who goes by Dursey, refers to him as a third person all the time, who comes across as a massive misogynist in all his pieces. And like a proper like, England, woo. Half his pieces about how fit all the French birds are. There's one piece where he's like, I'm writing this like Ollie naked, Barfie's surrounded mate. by a England flag. A lot of it's just like media of the time, that's what it was. Sure. I don't feel bad about saying it because I looked him up on Twitter just to check now if he's like whatever and half the stuff he shares is transphobic bullshit okay so and like homophobic stuff like I'm just like oh he's clearly not not a kind of guy I want to be friends with so you know what yeah his writing in 2007 was misogynistic yeah largely fair enough a lot of media in that time I mean, not was. fair enough but yeah. yeah but like it's a great resource, the BBC blog, because it's full of just like inane observations about wandering around France during that time. <laughs> but they came across a group of Australian fans chanting that. And it's been a wonderful thing that I've been sitting on one to come back to because like, I think we need more of that. And I'm glad that was taking up there. I know that you remember this for, for a fact, but mm. in around 2013 uh, or 14, mm. Fox Sports shared a feature where they had... Michael Hooper and Adam Ashley Cooper, glorious in gold. One young and one old, and we won't win the blend is low. <laughs> like, how good is that? Wonderful. Like, Fantastic. That, that needs to find its way into the drunk Australian Wonderful. fans in the stands. The greatest. Unbelievable. It's superb. And especially now Adam Ashley Cooper's probably going to come back for this World Cup. Yeah. Like, we've seen it before. Yeah. But like, we've not heard that song either for probably about six or seven years, and we remember all the yep. words. Oh, God. I was at a wedding a couple of years ago now, and they started playing Super Trooper by ABBA. And obviously, without realising it, my mouth started singing, Michael no. Hooper. And someone looked over to, to me, down, like, mate. going like, Why are you, oh, making what it are you doing? And I was like, oh, God, sorry. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, I just couldn't help myself. It's an affliction. The Michael Hooper affliction. The good thing is he comes and nicks it back off you, though. Yeah. He just, like, turns yeah. you back over. That's how you, how, you, how you heal it. Really good. More of that. More of that. Do you know yeah. what else we need more of? What? Uh, you. Who are you? Whoa. I'm the guy who drives the rugby train. That's who <laughs> I am. I drive the rugby train, and it goes, choo-choo. Rugby, 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 rugby. That's the rugby train you can hear in the background. And I am the driver of what the train. What stops on your train? Well, the stops include respect. Yes. Sportsmanship. Yes. Discipline. Yes. Teamwork. Yes. Racism. Yes. And rugby. Yes. What about the greatest force for good in the world? Amateurism. Amateurism. We've just been there, mate. You've missed your stop. Can I see your ticket, please? <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be asking for that because I'm driving. I've got another person. I've got a conductor who's going to do that for you. Okay. 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 I meant to get off there. Do you mind if I just get off on the next stop? Absolutely. Which I believe is rampant misogyny that you're apologising for, but not actually dealing with. Yes. 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 Uh, we do stop there. But thank you for requesting the drive that we stop there because we usually try and drive past that and hope no one's noticed. Yeah, but you're very you're very good at making sure you always go through it. We always regardless. go through it and we slow down a little bit when we get there. Yeah. Lie, you want to get taken the sides, we don't you? We only stop if someone You want to have an oogle, don't you? Yeah. 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 An oogle. An oogle. Well, I want to get off and get the... Yeah. <laughs> cool. I'm going to use that now. I want to get off and uh, head back direction, back towards okay. 
amateurism. The good old days because of amateurism. that's who I am. I am a true amateur. Okay, yeah, in I know every that sense much. of the word. And but who, who are you? I am an amateur. Okay, I am so amateur that I didn't check my birth certificate. So if I look at your rail card right now, what's the name on there? It's just got a little like scribble on it. Because I don't know how to write because I'm an amateur. Oh, yeah. And, like, picture's just, like, a stick man because I'm an amateur, so I can't take a photo. Yeah. And, and like, full-time age... writer, you famously can't write. Yeah, that's it. The age on there just doesn't have any numbers. It's just got, like, a couple Roman yeah. numeral. Like, not even Roman numerals. Like, so like a tally I'm keeping. your name is, like, whatever I want to call you. So that yeah, could be, whatever you, know, you Robbie, could be Squidge. Yeah. It could be any other name that I just decide that I'm Prick. not going to give you. Prick. Yeah. yeah. Those are the ones I mostly go by. But, yeah. like, I would, I would go by whatever you want to call me, I think. So, the idea today is we are going to talk more about Australian rugby and a little bit about Canadian rugby, and particularly the moment they met in 2007. Yes, we are. You you teed this up and I thought, sounds like a bit of a banger. Yeah. And having watched it, I can now conclude it's it's a game of rugby. It is. It is. um, It took place. I'd say it's one of the bigger games of rugby that I've ever seen. There was a lot of big play that went on in this game. Do you know what wasn't a big game of rugby, though? What? This one? No. Well, here's the thing. This was a big year for Australia versus Canada in the World Cup because this was one of three clashes between Australia and Canada in World Cups in 2007. I tell you what, oh really? I was going to say, it doesn't feel like a matchup I've seen very often, Australia versus Canada, which probably like pricked my ears up when mm. you suggested it as a fixture. Mm. But, oh, that sounds good. You rarely see those two teams. And you know what? This era of Australia and Canadian rugby, both yeah. quite fun teams yeah. they've got out. Both really entertaining, like, love to entertain a crowd Yeah, type. exactly. However, this is a huge, huge period for Australia-Canadian relations. Okay. Because not only did they play in the 2007 Rugby World Cup, right? They also played in the 2007 Lawn Bowls World Cup. Holy shit. In the semi-finals. That's a huge game. Canada went on to win. Did they win the tournament? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I did not check. Yeah. Maybe that is lazy research on my part. I don't think the fact that you checked what the Lawn Bowl semi-finals in 2007 were, I wouldn't say that's lazy research. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you off with that one. Thank you. And they also played in the Women's Football World Cup in 2007. Okay. Where they drew two all. Okay, so this was like the decider. Yeah. Um, except it wasn't because it would have meant they won one each. Uh, yeah, this still, meant it came... Yeah, because Canada won one, Australia won one. It was, it was one, Australia's and it came out as a draw, chance, so it's a really even period. Australia's chance for a bit of pride, you know, yeah. after falling so far behind the Canadians. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, look, very, very exciting, proud moment. I think everyone in both nations was keeping real track of this. Yeah, really, kind of so. following this. Yeah, it, very I closely. did wonder actually because in the post-match interview, uh, George Smith came out and said, "Like we did that for a bit of pride. We did that for the Lawn Bowls team who yeah. obviously went down fighting. And look, we were all gutted about that result, and we really felt motivated by that." Yeah, it was really what kept them going, I think. Mm. It was really the thing that did push them on through. <laughs> it just reminded me of the clip that came out last week about uh, Eddie Jones saying, I'm not inspired by English cricket. <laughs> I don't take any motivation from English cricket. And it was pretty much the opposite of that, where George Smith said, I'm really inspired by Canadian and Australian lawn bowls. And you know what? He would be right to say so. Yes, I'm really inspired personally by Australian and Canadian lawn bowls. They're in fact my two favourite lawn bowls teams because they're the only two I know. Really? Yeah. I presume that England is one, maybe? Yeah, they must be. They New must Zealand be. might be one. Yeah. I feel like they There'll be Commonwealth bowls. countries though, won't it? It'd be a bit like bloody, what's that other sport? It's only Commonwealth countries that play it. Rugby. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't really know much about that either. I know that they have a team called Canada. 
Mm. And there's a team called Australia. Or there was a team called Canada. But now there's a team yes. called Australia. And they're basically the only ones I know because I've just watched a game of rugby between those two. And coming in with fresh eyes, not really having watched much rugby before, despite just driving the rugby train, that was a, a real experience. I'd guess that there's more teams like England, maybe? England, they uh, sound Zealand, like a team, maybe? don't they? They sound right. I yeah. doubt it. Maybe Old Zealand as well. Old Zealand's a real team. That's yeah. a very significant... Probably the best team. The, the actual best team. So yeah. you mentioned, obviously, the only two teams in rugby being uh, Australia and Canada. It's slightly worrying. This is the sixth time they've played and the most recent, which means there's been no rugby since. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a shame. It's not worrying. That's probably for the best. Canada did play the Australian Barbars okay. in 2011 in a warm-up game for that World Cup where they lost 38-14. Oh, damn, um, that was a good Canada team as well. So they previously played in the 95 World Cup where Australia won 27-11. That sort of Al-Sharon, like real fierce Canadian team. Yeah. Uh, like, one of Canada's all-time great teams. We're going to get to them, and that's going to be They'd obviously exciting, qualified eventually. for the quarterfinals of the World Cup before, so it was a bit of an upset, but they found themselves in a really tricky pool with South Africa and Australia, and so they slipped over a bit there, kind of left them wondering what could have been, I think. If they got an easier pool, could they have kept that up? Would it have been a completely different landscape now if they'd been sure. able to push on a bit? Sure. As rugby was professionalising after that World Cup. But unfortunately, the draw fell as it did. They then played, actually... Australia quite a lot in the 90s and then pretty much not either side so they played them in 1993 where they lost 43-16 and they also played them in 96 the year after that World Cup where they lost 74-9 right but it was 11 years since they'd last played Australia so it's quite a big occasion in that case yeah that as I say it just doesn't feel like a matchup you often see you know it's a real contrast of teams and we haven't seen it in what we're looking at 16 years 16 years 16 years since we last saw the game yeah, and it's going to be a while before we see it again because yeah. of the state of the Canadian men's team. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, the women's, that's the point. Like, men's team, the women's team played like three weeks ago. Yeah, sure. You know, this sure. week took place a few weeks ago yeah. and was a good game. Yeah. Sophie the Goody was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, and Canada battered them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, it's such a treat seeing these two teams go at each other. And Canada clearly really enjoyed this, actually. Like, yeah. again, I've said this a couple of times in this World Cup. And it is stupid to talk about how much the teams enjoyed it in a Rugby World Cup when it's the biggest stage of all. Mm. But I do think that there is a real value in being able to go head-to-head with the, the world's best and get yeah. something out of it, yeah. you know, when you're a team like Canada. And look, we'll come into it because this is, of course, Canada's final game of this Rugby World Cup. Yes. Get into it when we have the leaving party. But we've touched so many times on just what a great spirit this Canada team has and the togetherness they clearly have when they're coming out and when they're coming off the field is just fantastic. And today it's it's no different. Absolutely. You say it's a last game. It's a real last game and a real end of an era for an awful lot of this Canadian team. Like this is a huge day for Canadian Mm. rugby, I think. It's a real changing of the guard. And obviously they have a really strong team in the following World Cup and they measure a place a lot of these players. But we mentioned the Al Sharon team, right? The last kind of hangovers from that side are here in that team. The last players from the 90s are here. And this is the last game for so many legends of Canadian rugby. Yeah. For so many genuine stalwarts who have been really proud players who've done that jersey really, really proud. Yeah, and we'll look at this Canadian team because there's there's so many. That Rod Snow, I think, is at the helm so of that. He's a legend. Rod Snow's last cap. When his yeah. first cap in 95, before the 95 World Cup, 62 games for Canada over 12 years, 
which is a hell of an inning to say he was also playing. What a player, man. What a player. Like, he was also playing for bloody Newport and the Dragons yeah. in that period. Also, from 95 he still onwards. puts in a shift at this point, doesn't he? He does. You know, at the very end of his career, he can still play. He's still, like, for example, we'll get into this when we do the game, but like, the mall is where, at the start, Australia really, like, assert dominance. Mm. But in the scrum, they can't get anything out of Canada. Yeah. But they're desperate to try and push them over, and just Rod Snow just resists the whole time. Because he's just solid. And so when Rick Sogett took over as the men's coach, mm. 15's men's coach, he, like, dragged Rod Snow out of retirement, because he'd been intended to retire for the 2003 World Cup. Because, you know, he was 34 then. Yeah, yeah. He dragged him out, got him to play to 38, yeah. and play in this World Cup. And he puts in a hell of a shit. Mike James as well, player who you've become particularly fond of yes. throughout this tournament for just being like the clone of Jamie Cudmore a little yeah. bit in the... Uh, bastardy, nuggety second row. Huge man who, yeah, does the bastardy things and does the nuts and bolts and won't do anything flashy. Clearly a really good leader as well. And again, he's at the end of his career here. It's clearly like a huge servant of Canadian rugby. Yeah. And yeah, deserved a bit of a send-off. And you could see... At the full-time whistle, he walks back onto the field, gives a few players a hug, and he just gives them encouragement. Yeah. And he's clearly, like, walks on really, really proud. You know, says to people, like, lads, you've been amazing. Skipping, like, literally beyond the game here. But he goes up to Nathan Sharp and says, I think you're a hell of a player, mate. Good luck. <laughs> Which is great, because often that happens the other way around, when yeah. a Tier 1 player will say that, or whatever. But Mike James kind of passing down to Nathan Sharp, who had another eight years on his international career or whatever after this... Like, I think that was great. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love Mike James as a character. Uh, Colin Ukes also retires after this World mm. Cup, who'd been a big player for Canada in the previous World Cup. Didn't play so much in this one, but like, yeah. really solid servant over five years. To bring on uh, Nick Trenkel for his first and last cap. <laughs> it's his only cap, so he, he's technically in the same club. He was there like, oh, I just came on and I just thought, but- I thought I'd quit at the same time as Rod Snow <laughs> and uh, Mike James and all the other big, big players. Nick Trenkel's a fascinating player, right? Because off the back of this World Cup, somehow he gets a contract with Narbonne in the Pro Day Dub, <laughs> where he plays one game as well. Oh, So he nice. is the one game man. Yeah, good on him. He just loves playing one game. He does. The second game would ruin it. Second game would ruin no, it. No, just no, want no. the second fixture. First the worst, second the yeah. best. Oh, so wait, played round. one game of international rugby, one game of professional rugby, and then caught it quits. I think the other really significant one... Well, uh, yeah, so there's, there's two more players that are retiring. On. So you have Derek Daypuck in the centre. Oh, yeah. Who, again, wasn't perhaps like a massive servant for Canada, but had been like a regular World Cup cycle for them. Good um, shift in this game as well. Yeah. Opposite AAC. Like, not an easy task. And then, of course, I think the, the big one, mm. the Canada of this captain team. Yes. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Morgan Williams. Morgan off. Williams. He has been so good all time. We're basically doing the leaving party already, but just by naming the team. Yeah. But God, he's such a great player, like in attack and defence. I think he's exactly the captain this team needs. Yeah. And he plays really well in this game, I think. Yeah. We talked before about the Wales game where like he was brilliant and then he was shit. But he's shown throughout this tournament just how high his ceiling is as yes. a scrum off and yeah. as a captain. Yeah, I think he... You kind of look at this World Cup and it's probably a shame that he played this well this late in his career. Yeah. Because if he played as well as he does here when he was 22, he'd for certain have played for a really long time in the Premiership or Top yeah. 14 or whatever else. And he obviously he got like a little stint with Saracens where he played a handful of games, two stints with Saracens, I want to say. Mm. And he, you know, like had a solid career, but it perhaps wasn't the massive career he could have had. Yeah. Where he was sort of like, I don't know, like he was signed to a lot of clubs as second choice for an established international. Yeah. And like he infamously beat Kieran Bracken out to the, out the starting team and Christophe Lajusquet was able to keep him out at various points. But yeah, I don't know. He was a fantastic player, yeah. vastly underrated, not really talked about these days. No. Like even amongst like Canadian rugby, like he's been a real eye opener watching him being so good. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he's one of the, like I don't think I realised quite how good he was before Me watching neither. this tournament. Back. Absolutely not. He was somebody who I, I remember. You know, we watched a little bit when we were kind of kids mm. and thought like, oh, you know, he's pretty solid, isn't he? But here it makes you realise what he's one of the best scrubs in the pool stage of this tournament. I'd I think probably so. Say. Yeah, he's uh, you know really pushing on. The likes of like George Gregan and Fori Dupria, who are genuine world-class talents. And he's there going toe-to-toe with these guys in terms of the best scrumhalves that have played in 2007. He's put himself right up there. And, like, we've barely seen Ed Fairhurst in this tournament, yeah. who wasn't a bad player himself. In this game, he comes on at fullback, and it's his last test match that he plays not at scrumhalf. Yeah. Which says a lot, you know, that like after that they just wanted Fairhurst to be the starting nine from there on out, and weren't messing about positions. Whereas before Williams' retirement, Fairhurst was having to play elsewhere in the back line just so they could get him on the pitch alongside Williams. But yeah, the fact that we've seen so little of Fairhurst in this tournament speaks volumes of Williams, I think. Yeah, he was, in 2019, inducted into the Nova Scotia Hall of Fame. Ah, yes. Well deserved. Yeah, one of only four rugby players in there. So it's, you know, it's not bad standing. I think most of them are ice hockeyers. Yeah. Ice hockeymen. I'm going to read you the first sentence of his description in the Nova Scotia Sporting Hall of Fame. Okay. Right? Williams is, without doubt, the most accomplished rugby player Nova Scotia has ever produced. Okay. With the Rugby 15s team, he's represented Canada 58 times, a record for Canadian scrum off, including three Rugby World Cups. He captained the team several times, including at the 2007 World Cup. He played in three World Cups and two Commonwealth Games in Rugby Sevens, representing Canada on the Sevens World Series. Williams has played at the highest level of professional rugby in both France and England, a level that no other Nova Scotia-born player has ever attained. Wow. Okay, yeah, he's their proudest son in yeah. rugby. Unsurprising. And, like, there's three pages of stuff on him, and it's just, like, it's really warm. Like, it's really, like, loving of him as a as a kind of son of Nova Scotia. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. It's really good that he's getting some celebration still to this day. Yeah. Um, and look, there's not much that this podcast is good for, but we can look back 16 years later and go, Morgan Williams was a bloody good scrum off. So, he was a fantastic player. Yeah, very pleased with, with his contribution here. But I want to look at, as well, a couple of other selections in the Canadian back line, because we've talked about the spine of yes. the team there. This is the last time on the podcast that we're going to cover Andrew Munro. I know. I was thinking about this as I was watching the game. And desperate for him to do something absolutely mental. Yeah. Because Andy Monroe, you the, said this before, but like live you didn't realise quite how much you loved him. No. And for this podcast you've realised that he's your favourite fly half ever. It's a real shame to lose the Titanium 10, mm. Andy Monroe. To feel him slipping away just after getting to know him, you know? I wonder if we can do a retrospective of Edinburgh's 2006 season when he was playing there. Why did the commentators never shut up about the fact that he's a little bit Scottish? He's not Scottish. Yeah, he's Canadian. Yeah, man. he was born in Canada, raised in Canada, then moved to Scotland as a teenager, where he lived for a few years, then went to university. Big and deal. hence came through Edinburgh's Academy. They don't shut up about the fact that he's part Scottish or something, but he's not really He lived Scottish. in Scotland for a while. Yeah. And, like, he does something good, and they go, oh, it's a bit of Scottish skill there. Yeah. Shut up! Like, oh, it's clearly he's been playing a lot of bloody, like... Gaelic games out in his kilt on the highlands yeah getting stung by thistles and you're like shut up these commentators did my absolute head in yeah but that is you beside texted the point. me during the game about, about yeah about this yeah not great but to finish off the Canadian team I think we're the... not whoa, whoa, we're not nearly done on Andy Monroe oh sorry Andy Monroe the greatest fly half that's ever lived sorry the titanium 10 himself so ahead of myself a fly half who charges head first into things then weighs up the options and almost <laughs> always makes the right decision <laughs> he puts in an absolutely beautiful touch finder in the first half and you're like you know what that is even more impressive because because 30 seconds ago, you were headbutting someone in a rack. <laughs> Did 
did you see his crash ball he does with like 10 minutes to go? Yeah. Where he juggles the ball over someone's head by accident and then catches it on the other side. I think it is like George Gregan or someone tiny flies up <laughs> on him and he fumbles the ball because the conditions for this game are rubbish. He fumbles the ball over someone's head, catches it and then does a crash ball. It's great. It's, it's absolutely the, the most on Adam Monroe thing ever. I am absolutely gutted to be losing him. You say this is the last time we'll cover him, but it's far from the last time we'll talk about him. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's the mark of a player who makes you feel something within two World Cups. Look, so. 13 games for Edinburgh he played. I think we should watch all of them. Okay, we'll add it to the list. We'll add it to the list. Uh, we can bump it up the queue a little bit if you really want to. So, scoring a grand total of 44 points. Oh, mate. What points they were as well. Like, okay. Great points. Over the 2005... Six season and 2006-7 season, he scored a total of three points. <laughs> I bet there were three glorious points. They there. were. They would have been like the winning drop goal to beat... Bennett and Treviso in Europe. No. They'd have been to beat the, the All, All Blacks. Blacks. Yes. Thank you. Because he was the greatest fly half who's ever lived. And I sound like I'm being ironic. I'm not. I genuinely love watching Andrew Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. He's become my favourite rugby player just watching this. There's no way that a 12-stone fly half should have the physicality he does. (laughs) Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, he's five foot nine and 12 stone. And he flies into things like he's He's bloody Billy Vanapola. Yeah. (laughs) He's absolutely wonderful. I love watching him. And Great. yeah, I am going to miss him. DJ van der Merwe also plays fullback. Yes. Which is weird. The, the, the back three, I think, is a really interesting thing. Yeah, they put James Pritchard on the left wing. Justin yeah. Coco comes in to start on the right wing, uh, which I think is deserved. I think well deserved. He yeah, did he's... pretty well in the yeah. previous couple of games where he's come on. I think he plays really well in this game. Yeah, I do. Coker. He's a really, really underrated player. And yeah, DTH at fullback, which is a rarity. I think it was very much a thing when he was younger, wasn't it? Mm. Um and kind of stopped being the case when he kind of well, established he, at professional level. Yeah, came into play centre more than fullback, I think. Yeah. As his but, secondary position. Yeah. He was very much a winger. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. In 2011, he played a lot at 13, but after that, he was very much a winger. I think he might have played one or two games at fullback for Glasgow and the Scarlets yeah. thereafter, but it was, a, it was a rarity seeing him play anywhere other than 11. He wasn't a utility back, even no. though he could play across the back line. Yeah, he had he the was skills a, to play any position yeah. is the thing. He was, was a winger, winger who could play centre and fullback. Yeah. Yeah, and to be honest, he kind of plays this game a little bit like a winger, like yeah. uh, him and Pritchard swap roles quite a lot. But yeah, it's a good back three of three players that we're both very fond of, so... Absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to take a look at Australia? Oh, if we have to. They've got a bunch of guys, uh, which is really good. Yeah, fact, there's also some blokes. As we go into that, we mentioned the commentary before. I'd like to just play a clip of the commentary on the Canadian squad. Please do. So it's a real stroke of genius, I'd say, by Rick Suggett there. That, as you say, he's called Rod Snow out of retirement for this. And as the commentary mentions there, Nigel Sama Smith, he's also managed to poach three World Cup final Australians to play in the Canadian squad instead. And this is as the Canada squad is on screen. You can see the Canadian squad. You can see them all on there. And looking at it going, I can't see Nathan Sharp's name in there, but I trust him. <laughs> I trust him that he's gone over to play for Canada instead. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, of course he would. Yeah. So, obviously, I am joshing with you. And, in fact, Nathan Sharp, George Smith and David Lyons are playing for Australia. Yes. 
David Lyons an interesting one, isn't he? Because I don't really know what the Australian kind of perspective on him is, mm. but obviously we know him as former Scarlets captain David Lyons. Yeah, because he's famous for playing in the World Cup final in 2003. Yeah. Right? And that was the thing that came up when, back when the Scarlets could make big signings, back when the worst regions could make big signings, other than Viper Future, I guess. But, you know, back when that would happen. Yeah. It was always the thing, like whenever David Lyons put in a big game, people would mention he played in the World Cup final. And his kind of career was very much built on that. Yeah. I think. It was more in reputation and temperament than anything else. Sure. He was never a player, like, in the way when I was growing up watching those Welsh teams, right? I was thrilled by Philo Tiatia, Jerry Collins, Xavier Rush Holler. playing in the back row. Yeah. yeah. David Lyons was always like, oh, he's, he's, he's all right. Yeah, he's, he's good. solid. I don't know whether that was him kind of dropping off a bit. Because, like, when you go back and see him play for Australia, he was good. You know, he was yeah. worth his place in the team yeah. for a very good Australian side. I suppose he wasn't that appealing to us as, like, teenagers first getting into rugby. Yeah. And he was just, like, a bit of a graphic. After, wasn't he? He wasn't as bombastic yeah. as perhaps a Xavier Rush. This is a very a niche conversation, I recognise. Yeah. This is for people who were watching Welsh regional rugby in the <laughs> noughties, which most of those people are now dead. His first season with the Scarlets, David Lyons, which was after his World Cup, he went on to sign from 2008. He played another year for the Waratahs then went, see ya, I'm off to West Wales. His first season, he played all 30 League and Cup games. Wow. For the Scarlets, which is probably why they made him captain. Yeah, Yeah, after that, because he showed he wanted it rather than just that being there for a paycheck. So yeah, that's grand. I mean, the Australian backline I think is really entertaining. Other than a Sam Cordingly Julian Huxley halfback combo doesn't look that appealing. But when you look outside that, and in the centres they've got Adam Ashley Cooper playing twelve, which. I always knew he could play, but I don't think I've ever actually watched this him play a game This is one of three games in professional career where he started at 12. Really? He played two tests against Wales that summer because for some reason they played a test series against a team in their pool at the World Cup as warm-up <laughs> games. That would never happen now. No. Adam Ashley Cooper started both of the games at 12 and in this game at 12 there's only games at 12. It's the last time career. he ever plays at 12. Yep. Wow. Because outside him they've got Lottie Tinkiri who didn't play centre very often. No. It's like an all-winger back line. Yeah. Yeah. They've got Drew Mitchell on one wing, Chris Latham at fullback, and Cameron Shepard on the other wing. So, the thing about Cameron Shepard is, I remember watching him play, mm. like when I was first getting to rugby, I never knew he played for the Wallabies until watching yeah. this. That was just something I just did not know happened. I didn't know that he was a former Wallabies player. I just knew him as like a super rugby Oh, but he was player. one of those guys, nine caps over four years. Really? One of those guys they call in every so often and okay, play a little yeah. bit. Got quite lucky to go to a World Cup, I think. They're always wingers as well uh, yep. for the Wallabies. You know, like the Dom Shippelys of the world. Oh, yes. Remember him? Jack Maddox. Jack um, Maddox, great. Jock example. Campbell. There's, there's plenty of them about now, isn't there? But clearly Cam Shepard was the original one of those. Mm. Ryan Cross. Oh, Ryan Cross. Just naming Australian players now. Please continue. Please continue. Okay, Dane um, Hale Petty. Thank you. I'm done. Don't Thank you. I'm 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 glad you're done. I'm glad you you finished. Sam Cordingly is an interesting player mm. at Scrum Off, nicknamed Rat, seemingly because he runs away at the first sign of panic <laughs> uh, and carries diseases. I did hear that. Yeah, it's actually a real tragedy. You know about yeah, Sam Cordingly. That's why everyone dropped his passes because they um, didn't want to catch any diseases. Diseases because he put diseases on the passes so that yeah. no, they wouldn't get intercepted. But yeah. then realised, like, oh, that means that my players don't want to catch them. It was a real blessing and a curse. Canada players were a bit more committed. They were more willing to pick up a disease to win the game. Yeah, and yet they didn't. No. And yet half of their squad went home with the disease. flu. Disease, yeah. Yes. I was going to name a disease, and I thought, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Sam accordingly went on to retire and become a player recruitment manager. 
Okay, that sounds Melbourne spot Rebels. on. Yep, I didn't know anything about him. I knew there was a former Australian rugby player called Sam Cordingly. Yep. Total blind spot. 23 caps. This is, again, his last cap. It all falls apart here. He signs for Grenoble. Bless him. Goes on to play for Grenoble for a while. Previously had a spell of Swansea. Yeah, you mentioned that on the, the commentary. What is Swansea? Is it an animal? It is indeed. I didn't know that was a thing. Was this like, pre-Ospreys that he played there? Yeah. And then went back to Australia and played internationally? Yeah, so his contract with Swansea through to the first year of the Ospreys. Right. He was contract for two years. Went back to play in Australia with... He went from the Brumbies to the Reds and played there for a bit before going to Grenoble after this World Cup and then going right. back and playing for the Melbourne Rebels in the first season where he played two games. Okay. Before retiring in order to become a player recruitment manager. Fair enough. Good on you, Sam Cordingley. Good on you, Sam Cordingley. you are. I'm mentioning him only because I think it's relevant because he does not play very well in this game I would say yeah he Canada get the better of him I like, think constantly. he's this is a really good world he's back line loads of talent despite them all being wingers yeah he kind of feels like a bit of a weak link yeah I don't disagree with that I think he's not necessarily poor but like he is the weak link in this it's team it's absolutely pissing it down for this game yes being a scrum off in those conditions is not fun no when the ball's think... slippery you're going to throw poor passes and just constantly, Mike James and Sean Michael Stevens and Colin Ukes in particular, yeah. are all being such a nuisance around the breakdown and just like slapping its arms and just maybe sometimes slightly coming offside, which Chris White doesn't get particularly happy with. But they're willing to play on the edge a little bit more to piss mm. off Sam Cordingly. And it definitely is worth the penalties they give away for it. Yeah. I think the other thing that's even worse is it starts pissing it down after being really sunny for the first five minutes. Mm. And then suddenly, like, the heavens open and it becomes just relentless horrible horrible weather which changes how the game is played really quickly really suddenly because Australia get off to a really good start once the game kicks off and they look they get a penalty inside like two minutes don't they yeah and Huxley kicks it through and good on them like I appreciate them respecting Canada after the chance they gave Wales yeah because they are the third strongest team in this group you'd have said looking at this because they breeze past Fiji this Australia team and it's not like Fiji going to beat Wales or anything later this day. No, no, no. You know, no, that's no, fine. No. That won't be a challenge at all. But you kind of have Australia looking very on top for five minutes when it's really open. And Canada doing everything, like looking desperate to stop them. And they're just about doing that. And then the heavens open. Yeah. And the game changes. Yeah. And as that happens, I think Canada are the first to adjust. Mm. And they realise... Because the thing about Canada here, they've got a really good kick pressure game. And they yeah. used it against Wales. They used it against Japan as well. They realised like, oh no, this is playing into our hands. And Morgan Williams puts up a brilliant kick, which Bensakoka wins back mm. to the Canadian side. And then straight away, Andy Monroe just looks up and pins it into the Australian corners. Yeah. And yeah, they've, they play to their strengths. They've clearly realised the difference that having a kicking ten in in bringing in Andy Monroe is going to make. Yeah. And he is a huge tactical boon for them. Yeah. Like, it is a different game for them having Monroe at 10. Yeah, to having Ryan and Smith. Yeah, that's no disrespect to Ryan Smith, who's a good player and plays perfectly well in those games. Yeah. He just wasn't the player for their game plan. Yeah. Where I think Andy Monroe exactly is, and also is the greatest fly half that's ever lived. One day, I want Andy Monroe and Kieran Williams to play together, then I will just burst into a flame of glee. I'll tell you what, the opposition's biggest player is going to have a lot of small men running at them, <laughs> and they're going to come off second best most of the times. We need to slowly build that 15. Yeah. Gabriel Vernier can play. Gabriel uh, Vernier and Kieran Williams as a centre partner. Yeah. I need to go for a lie down. <laughs> oh, now we're talking. Now that's ro- that's rugby. That's what that rugby is. definitely is. rugby. That's what rugby is. Yeah. Dupont's a scrum half is the thing. Yeah. Gonzalo Camacho on the wing. Gonzalo Camacho on the wing. Yes. <laughs> Love a battler on the wing. Yes. I'm sure there's another tiny winger who loves bouncing people. Darcy Graham? 
Yes, it's Darcy Graham. It's Darcy Graham. This is a hell of a backline of a building. It really is. Harry Williams used to do it as well, if you remember him. Harry Williams? Which one's the Harry Williams? The Wales... Prop? Harry Robinson, sorry. Harry Robinson. Oh, Harry Robinson, yeah. 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 yeah, he did a little bit, didn't he? Mm. He did a bit. Yeah. I, it's one of my favourite brands of rugby player. Is Yeah. I mean, Faf de Klerk is kind of yeah, the king. Yeah, I think Dupont's the king of it, though. Yeah. Yeah. Faf's more like big tackles, whereas Dupont is bouncing people. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Like, we're looking but, at this as a purely ball-carrying It is, thing. yeah, it is. If they let in a load of tries, I'm fine with that, but... Yeah. It's absolutely fullback and it's not coming to me and it's frustrating. Yeah. Me too. We'll Kaylee get there. Kaylee Powell's a little bit of that. Yeah. But she's it's not quite. Yeah. Yeah. But she's There's actually like quite example. strong herself. Yeah. Like, you know. But yeah, anyway. Right. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. There's a game going on here. Though mm. so the commentators wouldn't let you know that because they just keep going on little chats the entire way through. They go on a little chat about how ridiculous and unfair it is that uh, Australia and New Zealand pulled South Sea Islanders. And oh like, yeah, they're talking about like Lottie Takiori, who is Australian, Australian. Yeah, who is Australian. He just has heritage from elsewhere. Yeah, and they're like, oh well, it's clearly it's all bullshit, so isn't it? Much so much complaining about the rules of rugby as well. That's it. And they're going like, it's in the rules, so they're off in their rights to do it. But whatever. And then they're like, well, it's the same as Andrew Monroe playing for Canada. Like, well, he's bloody born there. Yeah. What do you want? What do you want the rules to be? Yeah. And. I mean, I think the elephant in the room around all of this and the commentary and the coverage of this game is five minutes before kickoff, somebody kidnapped Robbie Nock, right? Robbie Nock was meant to be on the sidelines going, hello, yes, I am here and I think that there should be loads of rugby playing and he's going to be really charming about what is potentially going on the sidelines. The thing is, we've taken the piss out of Robbie Nock a lot. The thing is, he's good at his job and he's a good lad. He's a great... It's just like, he is a funny addition to this team because he is completely ornamental, essentially. Yeah. And clearly they're like... he's great at what he does. He's a really good pitch side reporter. He's a good commentator. Yeah. And the thing is... He's so knowledgeable. Really knowledgeable. Knows French rugby inside out. Yeah. Speaks French, which bloody I can't. I've tried to do it for long enough. (laughs) The one Robbie that can speak French. Not that that's my name. He's great at his job. Yeah. But there is something fundamentally funny in this World Cup about them throwing down to him and never having an idea what they're asking him. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And they're just like, so Robbie, do you think that Ander Monroe would enjoy dinner tonight? <laughs> and he goes, well, 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 Nigel, that's not the question I was quite expecting you to ask. But um, before I get to that, I must say that Adam Ashley Cooper has a little bit of uh, strapping on his right wrist. I'm not sure if that's because of an injury or for fashion reasons, but we'll get back to that on that in five minutes. Uh, regarding Andrew Munro and his dinner, well, <laughs> think about your own dinner first, Nigel. And then I go, oh, well, ah. Uh... Well, of course, I am thinking about my own dinner. I was going to have chips tonight, but the hotel says they don't have them. They only have French cuisine. So, indeed, I'm going to need to eat some of that. Oh, and it's a try for Drew Mitchell. And then David Sol goes, Oh, ho, ho, ho. remember the chips we had the other night, Nigel? Yes, I do very well, very well. We're walking <laughs> around all of France and we had chips and they were horrid. They were very, very horrible. Hold I hear on, that... Nigel, I've got an incoming call from a Romanian I need to rescue. <laughs> I I hear that Sean Hardman is putting his boots on. Robbie, is this correct? Oh, well, uh, well, Nigel. Um, again, that's not quite the uh, information I was expecting to, uh, you would want of me. But uh, I must say that was a really good inside ball there from Lottie Tinkuri. I think he ran an excellent line there. The man who's got links with Leicester in a couple of years, so he may end up signing there. <laughs> I've just had an inside scoop on that one. However, um, Sean Hardman does wear boots, yes. He has studs in them as well. Well, that's very interesting insight. It's something that's really catching on in Australia. I'm not sure we should be allowing studs in boots. I feel the game's gone a bit far 
for me. But anyway, the kickoff is coming. The conversion was missed, by the way. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I'll I'll pick you up soon from from Romania. You say okay, that's fine. Okay, Christian, see you later. Why has he got a Romanian accent himself? I don't know. I felt like I, I peaked with the Robbie Knock impression, which was a little bit too good, and it took out anything else that I could potentially do with my Here's voice. Here's the thing, right? That was a really funny observational comedy for anyone who's watched every game in 2007 <laughs> Rugby World Cup. In the last month. In the last 16 years. But the thing is, most people listening... Like, we could do a screenplay for that, and it would be brilliant... And no one would fucking watch it. No, nor should no they. No one would turn up. No, 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 no. This isn't us having a go at you, the listener, for not making, yeah, observational comedy about 2007 Rugby World Cup. But uh, I hope that was lots of fun. But anyway, the point I was trying to make was mm. Robbie Knock isn't here this time. No. He gets kidnapped five minutes before kickoff. And some random fucking Australian bloke who nobody knows who he is just comes in and constantly tries to make bants with the world's driest commentary team and just will say shit and uh, try and turn everything into a joke. And I don't know what his job actually is. But it is a bit like that. Like, he'll see Sean Hardman friend to come on and be like, you're a hard man yourself, aren't you, David? And David Soul will be like, I know, I've, I've actually had problems with that for quite a long time now. Here's my favourite interjection from him. Nigel, just to let you know down here that... Oh, Jesus, no. Timmits, Timmits. <laughs> he starts talking. And Nigel starts with because, oh, Jesus, no. <laughs> and then lets him speak a minute later, but clearly he wasn't intending to have the microphone to yeah, his mouth. Yeah, he wasn't expecting that. God, he's a dickhead. Nigel starts with... Like, maybe he's a lovely man, off air, yeah. but he is a miserable, horrible commentary, yeah, it's, present on commentary. Yeah, and it's it's obviously a funny one, because after this, I think Step Down did a lot more kind of sevens and mm. uh, tier two based rugby after that, which is obviously a great thing. And I'm also very aware that he's not in the best health right now, and I very much wish him all the best. And like, it seems like his family and all the people around him all speak extremely highly about him off air and his presence... Which is which is really really great, but we'll also add it was a long day listening to the broadcast of this. You've stitched me right up there, yeah, because I was going to give him dick of the day because okay. I thought he was absolutely unbearable in this game. Yeah, like he was driving me insane and making the game almost unwatchable. Yeah, because I think he's just such a negative moaning presence. But I hope he recovers well and I hope he's well. Yes, and as I said, by all accounts, clearly a lovely man, just a really dry, horrid commentator. Yeah, it was, and this was 16 years ago. Yeah, so yeah, we we are talking about this very much retrospectively. Sure, we should call the podcast that. Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. It's a great idea. But yes, when we talk about him, this is not to detract from any of the other things that people who actually know him say about him. Yes, um, And the lovely things that they they have said about him as a bloke, because I do not disbelieve that for a minute. No, But yeah. in the interest of objectivity, we'll also say that this was a long 80 minutes of listening to the broadcasting of this game. Yeah. I am not going to argue with you there, largely because I said it myself. Yes, exactly. But the the whole Jesus No thing was funny. And the, yeah, this random Australian bloke who would just occasionally come in and do japes with Mm. the two members of the commentary team. a moment where Justin Mentecoco takes a high ball and David Soul says, with skills like that, he could get a game in the premiership. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's a he's, really good take that Menzikoko... It is, it's fantastic. ...does. He's playing at a World Cup already, which yeah. is a level higher than the Premiership. Yes. That's a really good bit of skill where mm. Huxley puts it across like a nearly perfect cross kick. It's fantastic, yeah. And Menzikoko puts his hand above his head and then kind of leaps backwards and lands on his arse and calls the mark from it. And it's it's just an incredible It is a great observation by Starmer Smith that can you call the mark if the mark is made of your ass? Yeah. Which are not his words. The words of Top Gear magazine, in fact. <laughs> I mean, that's not really been a raw whole stamp with your foot thing for probably a number of decades. Oh, now. it was about then. It was about then. It was still sort of, it probably went out of fashion around 2010. Mm, I don't know. I, no, I remember seeing Wayne Barnes call someone they couldn't hit the mark because they didn't make a really? stamp in about 2010. In your own words, though, he ref like a Tory back then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Canada do, over this kind of opening stanza, this opening kind of half an hour, such a great job of just frustrating and soaking up Australia. Yeah. It kind of feels like they're just absorbing everything they're throwing at them. And Australia getting more and more frustrated as the game goes on. And as the ball gets wetter and wetter and wetter. Yeah. And Australia's tactics, I think, are actually good for this yeah. game. They're, they're really good. trying to stretch Canada. I think Huxley in particular is like going for cross kicks, going for long passes mm. and so on. And really trying to work them hard. And by going for wide plays and trying to play at speed. And Canada are just clearly so determined and have such work rate mm. in their, their pack that they can resist this. Yeah. There's a moment that I think is almost the biggest moment of the game. Certainly the biggest moment of the first half for me. Where at just 3-0 down after about half an hour, Canada have been absorbing so much. They find themselves with a scrum five Australian put in on their own try line defend this scrum five and they win the penalty against the head from the yes. scrum. Like Rod Snow putting one last masterclass on the loose head to win them penalty. And it is such a big turning point. Like Dharma Smith and commentaries said a moment earlier, who's going to score here then? It's going to be David Lyons, isn't it? Yeah. And then sure enough, they don't. It's a Canadian penalty. It's a huge turning point. It shows like what a resilient team this calendar were. Yeah. I think that kind of sums them up best. And Because that- tier two teams don't typically do that. It was the thing we talked about in 2019. The Jimeno winning that turnover against Ireland was the moment Japan kind of became a Tier 1 nation. Yeah. Because Tier 2 teams don't win that turnover. No. That Jimeno wins on his own goal line. That's a huge moment from Rod Snow. And like also the context that that scrum came in is huge as well. Mm. Because they got a scrum five in the first place because Morgan Williams held up Hugh McMenamin over the try line. Mm. And at that point, they were like, yeah, okay, who's going to score here? Canada then turned that scrum over by wheeling it. Sean Michael Stephen then knocks the ball on at the base of his own scrum, and you think they've shot themselves in the foot here, and Rod Snow bails him out. What a great moment that is, yeah. that they've been under the cosh in three or four different scenarios inside the last five minutes, and yet Rod Snow's, yeah, got them out of jail for free. It's fantastic. They do eventually concede. They do. They do, yeah, and it's... A shame, but it's a really well-built piece of pressure for Australia, I think. It is, because I think that's it. I think it's pressure more than anything else. Yeah. Because it's a really long time. It's not long after that scrum penalty where Canada have been on the back foot for such a long time. And yes, they like clear the ball out from that penalty, but they lose the ball almost immediately. I think they might even lose the line out. And they just remain under such pressure for so long. Yeah. And the thing is, it's probably easy at this stage to look at that and go, it's not the most inspired Australian attack. But what they do have is patience. Mm. And they don't, like overforce the hand or anything because they know that eventually if they just keep the ball in hand and just go through more and more phases then either Canada will lose their shape or they will tire out and their tackles will be much less effective Yeah, and that's essentially what happens that they go ever so slightly wide but not from a particularly far in position if that makes yeah. sense yeah. where it's just they go two passes out of contact to get it onto the wing 
and they find is, is it Al Baxter the tight prop who's on the Al wing Baxter. end yeah who classic wing corner classic wing is finished from Al Baxter yeah for his first try for the Wallabies 50th, on his 50th cap. cap first try for the Wallabies only the second Wallaby prop to ever make 50 caps after wow. Ewan McKenzie and scores his first try for the Wallabies what proved to be his only try for the Wallabies he obviously goes on to play for another few years plays until 2009 and finishes his only try here yeah. on his 50th cap and it's one of those where I think if you're Canada you're not too disappointed to concede that because they've no. had to work so hard to keep them up for as long as they have and sometimes when you're playing against a better team let alone Australia being what top three attacking teams in the world yeah. at this stage you've had to force them on the outside for one of their forwards to finish that. I don't think they can lose any heart in that. They yeah. have so many great D sets after this in similar scenarios where they do eventually hold it out. It puts them 8-0 down because of conversion miss because they hold them out to the very corner as well. Yeah. Like, it's one of those where there was absolutely no Australia were scoring anything but the very corner. Uh, and that's it. I think that eventually probably at this point, I think it's less so the case nowadays because defence coaches are so good. But occasionally, if you're a defence coach of a slightly less good team, mm. you have to change your priorities of what classifies as good defence, you know, that yeah. sometimes you have to admit, okay, if this team scores by X route, then fair enough. You know, we mm. should accept that that's a thing that might happen as long as we held out, hold them out in any other scenario. And I feel like that is the one scenario where the Canadian defence coach would go, and Rick Suggett indeed, himself as a fired-up head coach, will go, you know what, fair play to them. Yeah. It takes them 24 minutes to score. Yeah. Despite Australia having almost bloody good effort that possession and almost complete territory. Like, at this point against Wales, they must have been, like, 14 nil up, maybe? A billion up, I believe. Yeah. They must have been so far ahead at this point against Wales. Yeah, but at this point against Wales, they were 18 nil up. Yeah. That's a fantastic result for Canada. Yeah. And again, the conditions obviously play their part, but... The thing is, they're a better team than Wales. Yeah. So... That's true. It's just, just, just true. goes without saying, true. isn't it? Do you want to hear, by the way, my final clip of commentary, which is incredibly fucking based... Which comes around this point. The tackler there, Mark Chisholm, was uh, you know on the wrong side, and uh, you know I think when you get in those sorts of positions, you you run the risk of getting a damn good chewing. But for those who've just joined us here, what, what was what was it, Rick Suggett said? It was a very technical expression. We're going to go out and kick the crap out of the Australians. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That is, I think, a genuinely fantastic piece of commentary. The way that David Saul has the moment's hesitation and then just goes, you know what, I'm just going to swear on live <laughs> television. Just say it. I'll just say it. <laughs> I'm just fine with that. And he, he turns it into a joke and I think that's great. I'll take the off-com complaints. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The other thing that comes up in commentary about Rick Suggett is that he never wore socks. Right. I wasn't sure when to bring this up. So he always was barefoot on the sidelines for games. Mm. That was a thing. And Nigel Stormsmith mentions this at the start, and you're like, oh, is that some kind of weird banter that he's bringing up there? And this Australian lad on the sidelines says, oh, I know you mates with Rick Suggett. He's told me to tell you personally that he's not wearing shoes or socks for this game. What a guy. <laughs> I love Rick Suggett. We've talked about how beloved he is and how important he was a figure in Canadian rugby in building them up to the place in which only King T. Jones could have ruined it. Yeah. Um, and both the men's and women's teams as well. Yeah. Having coached every Canadian team, every Canadian senior team. Yeah. The men's 15s, the men's 7s, the women's 15s, the women's 7s. Yeah. Uh, and also the USA women's 7s. Um, oh, just, nice. just to complete it, just to round it off. But yeah, if you were doing all of that barefoot as well, and like, I don't know, I know some barefoot people, you know, like, uh, Rhiannon Goff-Jones, friend of the pod, is a barefoot person. Okay. She loves doesn't, to... doesn't wear shoes I anywhere. went to the cricket with Rhiannon the other week. I think I mentioned it previously on there. See, bloody women play cricket because we're woke as heck. Yeah. And yeah, Rhiannon just like, we went up to get some like chips or something 
during a stoppage, uh, during the lunch tea break in the cricket that they do. And she just walked around in barefoot, around a sports stadium. And I was like, I'm not sure how to feel about that. I know you live in Denmark. This is Nottingham. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I know it's a cricket ground, but there will be needles. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Mm. But then again... It would have frightened me. Yeah. If it puts you in the same category as Rick Suggett, though. That's true. Like, I'd love to be closest to that guy. But Rihanna was very easy, even when I brought it up. Fair enough. As long as she's comfortable and doesn't creep anyone out. Did you see that viral tw- uh, photo on Twitter last week of somebody on a Ryanair flight with like someone's foot like just behind the armrest? No. Oh, it's weird. Somebody had their bare foot like on the front person in front of them's armrest. Mm. Really didn't like it. But I'm sure Rihanna and Rick Suggett both don't go that far. So no, 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 no. They like shoes firmly on for flights, cinema trips, yeah, theatre, etc., etc. Just not cricket. It's just not cricket. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So Australia do get a second try, however. Yes. They get a mall working after a penalty. We've From not one kind of those... talked as much about how good their mall is. Yeah, that's true. Off. That's fair. Yeah. Like, a Canada are kicking really well, but Australia are punishing them in return with just such a good mall. There's one that they drive out of their 22 to beyond halfway before Canada should give away a penalty. The mall is a real struggle for Canada at this stage. So yeah, go on, you're saying. Yeah, no, it, it's exactly that. And so Canada give away one of their penalties where they're niggling a bit too hard because they walk that line so well the entire game. And they get penalised quite a bit, but like all those penalties are kind of things they're getting away with under certain circumstances. Yeah. And it's an almost impossible game for Chris White to referee. Yeah. Who, like, really likes to be very, like, school's mastery and really likes to tell players off. And, you know, this kind of his, his refereeing style is like a teacher in a posh He's school. firm, yeah. Yeah, and he talks down to players, but he talks down to all players, and that's just kind of his style. And you kind of accept it as what it is, because he's a perfectly good referee. Yeah. The impossible game for him to referee because... Canada are infringing so much so regularly. The discipline's rubbish here, Canada. Yeah. Like, they got a lot of things right, but the discipline... As I say, like for the first kind of 30 minutes, I think they play on the line and it's worth it because they're mm. getting in Sam Cordingley's head. And a little bit Julian Huxley's, but I think he's, he rises above it, Huxley. Yeah. But after a while, White gets it in his head. Oh, wait, they're just infringing all the time. And that's where smart players will then be able to tune that out. Yeah. And... For all of his many positives, in this game, I would not say Colin Ukes was smart in the way he cheated. <laughs> no. As I say, for the first 30 minutes, he was getting away with loads, but Chris White was losing his patience so rapidly with Canada. There's a moment right before the second Australia try mm. where White looks properly white with anger. 
<laughs> he is fuming with Kanji. He calls over one of the players, starts lambasting them, calls up the player individually, then says, go and tell your captain what you've done. Which is a first in like, you go and get told off a second time by your captain. And I was like, you need to have a word with your captain because you're really not reacting here. Just like, it feels like he's done it in the wrong order because normally you call the captain over then the captain calls over the player. Sure, sure. He's done it the other way around because he's so angry. <laughs> and that's the moment you're like, oh, we need to be squeaky clean for the next 10 minutes because yeah. he's lost it with us. Just get it out of, out of his head. Yeah. You know, just get to half time and then he'll have a 10 minutes to calm down. Yeah. Like, rather than now it's fresh in his head that we've just given away penalties. You've got to stop this narrative now before it yeah. grows. But like, can't keep playing the way they were. One stage where he tells Colin Ukes to calm down and says like, we can't have that behaviour anymore. You really need to think about the way you're playing or mm. you could end up on the sideline. Then Morgan Williams walks over and goes, go on, what's happening then? Talk talk to me. And Chris White goes, he knows. And Colin Ukes turns around and goes, I don't. <laughs> Which is really funny, but then yeah, he sends him back. Presumably there was a fight of some description, which Chris yeah. White wasn't happy with. It's what Ukes does. Ukes yeah. is as Ukes does. He was such a shit house in this game. I'm not sure it was necessarily all beneficial to his team. I think he generally plays well, mm. but I think the amount of penalties he gives away in the end is not beneficial to his team. But 16 years on, I fucking love watching stuff like that. Absolutely. Like, so just off the Look, rails. We've said this plenty of times. Colin Ukes playing in the pro day duh. Yes. He's like, not expecting to be refereed. No, exactly. Exactly. Playing Eugène at the time. However, as you say, Adam Fryer scores from the back of the mall. Mm-hmm. It was kind of inevitable that Australia well taken, would score another one. Try. Yeah. yeah. You feel for Kander a bit because it kind of feels like a bullshit addition when they've been defending does. so well in open play. It's also Fryer's first try for the Wallabies. Yes. And you know what? If Kander are going to concede any tries, it might as well be to front rows who don't score very often. Yeah. One of two tries he goes on to score for the Wallabies in total. Okay. But the first of the bunch having won his field cup in 2002 though so he has waited a while he's waited five years for this yeah exactly exactly Australia managed to keep a bit of momentum going on into half time but Canada are kind of clinging on by the fingernails at this point like Huxley puts in a few kicks and Australia start to play in the right areas there's right at the end of the half I think it's the last play of the half in fact Jakuri makes this really nice break where he runs a like tip on line off Nathan yeah. Sharp which I don't know if it was intentional <laughs> But it works really well. Like he spots the line, he spots the gap, and then kind of fades on the outside, tries to lob it wide to Cameron Shepherd on the wing. And I'll tell you what, in these conditions, that is not the one bit sympathetic, that pass, where no. he just lobs it halfway across the field, lets the Canadians get it get across. Difficult one to catch when it's a wet ball. So obviously Shepard drops it, and we see half time. Um, yeah, ends up at half time. 13 nil to the Wallabies, which I think is probably somewhere around 10 nil is about a justifiable scoreline. 13 3 would have been a fair reflection. Yeah. I think Canada deserves some reward for their efforts. Yeah, for sure. I and think... they do get it not long after half time. Like, there is the scoreline mm. pretty soon afterwards. Yeah. We have Andrew Monroe, receives the ball in the backfield right after half time. Goes for a chip kick, recovers it himself, and goes for the most audacious, like behind the back, blind flick inside to absolutely no one. The ball <laughs> gets it. caught on his back, and he goes for a touch pirouette anyway. as he does it. It's glorious. And so it goes forward, obviously, because he doesn't know where his back is. Yeah, it's just like, it's terrible, but it's the best thing I've ever seen. But it is Ander Monroe. It's Ander Bloody Monroe being skillful. And also, I reckon, on balance... It works because they yeah. get a penalty not long after this. Absolutely. Um, from a Mike Pike jackal turnover. He's a good boy, Mike He's Pike. He's a good boy. He's a good boy playing 13. Playing 13. Which we haven't talked about. Yeah. Mike Pike's at 13. They just changed the whole backline around and it's kind of vibes. Every player in their backline, apart from maybe Daypuck and Monroe, are playing in the wrong position. <laughs> yeah. It's mental what Dave Spicer being injured does to a team. <laughs> 
None of us can afford to leave Dave's bicep. No, no. But yeah, Pritchard gets the penalty to make it 13-3. Mm. As you say, they deserve to be on the ball. I think you're right. They deserve to be on the ball before half time. And at this point, they probably deserve to get a try. Like, yeah. They're really giving Australia a go. They have a massive D set after this where they go 15 phases and Australia just cannot break the wall down at all. They're constantly getting in, nipping it, cording these heels. They put an absolutely mega shot on to Curry to nearly force him into touch, keep the ball in. Mm. And then afterwards, both Drew Mitchell and Adam Ashton Cooper get absolutely hammered back in tackles. And it's such a brilliant D set. Again, this is usually the point where the so-called Tier 2 nation wilts over and, yeah. and dies a little bit. But here, they make such a statement by holding them up for 15 phases. And then straight after that, Australia win the ball back and they hold them up for 8 phases and knock the ball on. It's such a fantastic effort by Canada. Absolutely. There's a really good stat that David Sol brings up on commentary. Which, 13 minutes into the second half, right? Canada have made 31 tackles. The Wallabies are made free. Wow. In the second half. Which kind of says everything about where the second half goes. Yeah. And the fact that the scoreline in the second half thus far was 3-0 to Canada. The Wallabies were put under immense pressure. And yet Canada weren't having any chance to relinquish themselves from having to put that pressure on. Yeah. They were just constantly trying to apply and press and press and press and press and press. And sometimes you need a moment to stop and just do some pick and go so everyone can get their energy back. Sure, sure. You know, because like pick and goes only really consume the energy of like three players. Whereas defensive set consumes the energy of basically everyone in the team. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. Like, the time it takes to set for a scrum, naturally I was looking at that thing like, oh, this is a good rest period. But actually, for 16 players on the pitch, it's not. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was something I read recently, like, professional-level front rower anonymously saying, like, no supporters appreciate the sheer effort that goes into a scrum at international mm. level because you expect to get up and just do so much else. Yeah. But actually, like, that is an immense physical effort. Yeah. Like, you're essentially having, like, a sumo match, like, six times a game at least. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous what, you know, these top-level props go mm. through. The skill level those guys have is just next level. It's unimaginable. However, we're there talking about how difficult set pieces are, but the next thing that happens in the game kind of illuminates that, I think. There's Chris Latham makes a little break on the outside from about halfway. Yeah. And puts in a little chip kick to the corner. Clearly, you know, mean intended as an attacking kick, but just rolls into touch. Again, it's difficult to judge... Those attacking kicks in wet conditions, especially with the bar of soap mm. ball. But it goes into touch and you think, right, okay, fair enough. Canada have to exit on their own line now. And we witness the biggest <sighs> anticlimax ever. You love overthrown line outs, don't you? I love them. You're such a fan of that tactic of overthrowing the ball five metres out. Yeah. In order, because no one else can Yeah, it was definitely a tactic, what happened yeah. here. Well, you love that when they do that deliberately, don't you? I definitely love it. I love it. Because it always goes well. Because I love knock-ons and not straight throws and intercepts and all those sorts of things. The thing is, right, when you then throw in the added element of it not being deliberate and you not having anyone nearby to even attempt to tackle if the opposition player gets to it, it becomes even worse yeah especially when the only person in the vicinity of the the space just behind the lifting pod in a three-man line out when the only person behind that is uh, no let's think um who do you think is maybe the um the best non-canadian really quick agile athletic and smart and like with really good reaction times looks forward in the 2007 rugby world cup who matt todd Matt Todd, yes, went to the 2007 Rookie World Cup, of course, for Australia as well. But, I don't know, like, George Smith or someone might be lingering? Yeah. 
So there's that thing Eddie Jones said about George Smith, where he plays like he's covered in spiders and no one else ever wants to touch him. Yeah. You get an element of that from this try. This is the most covered in spiders he's ever looked because no one is anywhere near him. The thing is, I'm there talking about like, oh yeah, they've thrown it to like, you know, the most athletic flank or whatever. But it didn't have to be. No. Anybody they could have thrown it to that. Alan Jacobson, who was eating a pie at the time. Yeah. Because he doesn't have to run no. to the try line. I cannot stress that he gets the ball and he just falls over. And he gets five points for that. Canada overthrow the line out. It goes straight into Smith's hands. There is no one in front of him. Smith falls over the try line. Yeah. From like two metres out when he receives the ball. We've stressed this on previous episodes before. That try was worth more points than Gareth Edwards' is in 1987. <laughs> 1973, even. It's mental that the reward he got for that. And just... It's just such a dagger through Canada after how hard they've worked in D mm. to just fuck up one like skill execution and then suddenly they're five, maybe seven more points down. It's such a soul crushing moment. genuinely really underlines how hard a game rugby is. Yeah. Because you need concentration for all of that for so long. There's so many tiny moments of skill that can cost you big time. Where like an equivalent in football or basketball or whatever is like costing you possession or a chance. Yeah. Like in rugby actually cost you the... Game. Doing a synchronised throwing somebody in the air who's doing a well-timed jump mm. as you've got a guy throwing the ball over an opposition player's head and perfectly into that guy's hands. And it has to go directly down a tunnel. It has to go directly down the middle whilst absolutely fucked because you've been playing for 60 minutes. Like, that is like the hardest skill ever. And yet, how stupid did they look when that went wrong? Because it ultimately cost them the game yeah like us that is the moment australia pull ahead and from there the game changes kind of look defeated and australia start to go okay cool we've got this in the bag let's get that bonus point and let's kick on a bit of style because mm. we have drew mitchell and adam ashley cooper glorious in gold but the thing is canada still have a few really big defensive moments mm. like tinkuri makes a break on the switch for some reason goes himself instead of passing the commentators are fuming about that saying like oh he should never play rugby ever again or any sport or should be beheaded because he didn't pass to Chris Latham outside him Mm. and James Pritchard comes up with like the huge goal line turnover which again is such a rarity for Mm. a team at this point when they're just having to have the opposition pull away on them come away with that sort of moment and then Adam Ashley Cooper just straight off the back of that makes a breakaway himself there's a really weird kind of back and forth where Canada intercept the offload that would have yes. been like the try scoring offload and then George Smith she comes up with the, the key moment and turns the ball back over and it's like right okay even when Canada are resisting Australia seem to have come out the other end of that now yeah. and I think that's why I think Australia deserve to win this game is because Canada holds so much yeah resistance to them. And around 50 to 60 minutes into the game, Australia are then smart enough to counteract that. Yeah. And they do start adapting the tactics over and over. It doesn't all become attacking rugby, as we see when eventually they do score the bonus point try. Mm. Where it is, they hang a bomb. And DJ van der Merwe makes an absolute meal of it. Yeah. He isn't in position at all. It's Michelac-style switch kick, like the one against Ireland, yes. isn't it? That Vincent Clairstort scores off where it's Huxley switches it back from right to left in a way that Canada just weren't set up for, because why would you be? Why are you expecting that? But they're also very happy to have only one person backfield at that point. Yeah. Which feels daft in these conditions, when obviously they're going to kick the ball more. Yeah. Why aren't you dropping Menzikoka back? Why aren't you dropping James Pitchard? Who's really... You've got two really good fullbacks on the team in him and Pike. Why yeah. aren't you dropping one on the back? And indeed DCH, yeah. you know? Well, yeah, alongside DTH. And DTH is left on his own, made to look foolish from just not being anywhere in position. Yeah. As you say, like, he's, he's given an almost impossible task to cover that. Yeah. And 
then having a 1v1. Cause how good is Drew Mitchell's finish of this try? It's unbelievable. It's phenomenal. It's one of his best finishes. It looks so his simple. Career. It's the thing. Because he, he makes that look like just a bog-standard winger's try. But because the ball is so wet, it bobbles around mm. kind of in the vicinity of his bread basket. Yeah. But he's so composed. And the thing is... Just when his timing to recover the ball, timing his run, is superb. When you're trying to catch a bobbling ball that you are at risk of knocking on, mm. you have to have all of your concentration go into that. Yes. Into putting your eyes on the ball, putting your hands out to catch said ball, and not worrying about the defences coming around you. Mm. And the fact that he does that with such composure and then still manages to fend off I think Pritchard eventually gets back, or DTH, who's got yeah. a cross. And he managed to do all of that at once is just incredible. And he steps inside and manages to finish it. He's, as I say, it's composed is the word. Yeah. Like, he's so good under pressure there. His step, and then having the kind of... He's then caught, basically, twice by two Canadian players and managed to break out of the tackles and have the sheer pace to finish it. It's yeah. like, it's one of the best finishes of his career, and that is a career littered with unbelievable finishes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, Mitchell really turns it on for the last 20 minutes, I think. Mm. Um, th- to be honest, the whole Australian backline do. Lottie Tinkuri starts just making more breaks for fun. Which, um, of course, leads to only three minutes later, Drew Mitchell gets a second try. Yes. Having barely been in the game. Yeah. For the, like, he's barely seen the ball. He's chase kicks perfectly well. But, like, you didn't really know he was playing. I thought he'd come off the bench by the time he got there. You know, then you're like, oh, you know, he wasn't the starting team. He did he did start. He was there. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly he pops up and scores a second. And it's again, it's on the opposite side of the field. He's tracked around and run a great yeah. support line to end up You wouldn't think on it, though, because like, the commentators are busy slagging off Australia as this try is being scored, which is... Oh, God. Yeah. Hilarious. Like, they're talking about how shit Australia have been all day. Lodge de Curie then makes a break and he goes, oh, I guess that's all right. But they've not been that good all day, have they? They stay so like deliberately bland for mm. the content, like really tone it down to try and prove themselves right rather yeah. than prioritising the audience who want to be entertained by this brilliant try that's being scored in front of them. Yeah. And so when they deliver the try scoring pass to Mitchell who runs round, you know, gets over in the corner, runs round between the posts. Sublime try, like really highlight the game. Yeah. Which they're moaning about as being like, oh, shut up. Shut up. Grow up. Yeah. But yeah, Tinkuri's line on that switch is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The timing on his pass to Mitchell. And as you say, the headline of this is Mitchell's support line. Yeah. The fact that he's anticipated Tinkuri making that break the, the whole side. time. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's shown so much confidence in Tinkuri to make that bust, have the pace to get to the fullback and then throw the pass. Like yeah. it's a really smart support line by Mitchell. Like he's waited and bided his time. Mm. And then he had two moments come and they come a minute apart. And he's just pulled them off and decided the game. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. What a great winger. What mm. a great winger. This also takes him to the magical total of seven tries in the World Cup. Ah. Um, as we discussed last week. Where I was incorrect, and that was his sixth try. Okay. He only, he only scored six in this World Cup. I was wrong. But, <laughs> hey, Drew Mitchell was the second top try scorer in this tournament right. after Brian Hubban- Habanar. Hub... Habanar. Habanana. Banana. Uh, Brian Banana and yeah finished with 7 tries didn't quite make the magical total of 8 which is the record but hey got close got, got close. close got close Ander Monroe puts in like his near pinpoint kick from Mentacoco which yes. could have been a try scoring chance oh, man. but it's close it's kind of his last moment of glory in yeah. this World Cup obviously he has plenty more in the following World Cup but we've already talked about them yeah yeah but I just wanted to give Monroe his, yeah. his moment again while we still can speaking of giving people their moment Rod Snow goes off he does. Which is sad. Yeah. He goes off, and of course, 
Starmer Smith, when told this by the Australian man on the sideline, he's like, <laughs> Rod Snow, Christmas time, is it? He says, oh, that's a shame. I would have liked a close-up so I could have played tribute to him, but it's such a shame we can't do that now. So just tell, just tell, pay tribute to him now. Yeah. Just, just talk about just it now. Instead of moaning that, oh, I didn't get a chance to pay tribute to him, no one gives a shit. Do that off air. Yeah. Oh, God. Just shut up. Oh, Jesus, no. <laughs> Rod Snow goes off. Again, I think he was brilliant in this game. I think yeah. not an easy task in conditions as well. It's kind of his career in microcosm isn't it yeah like he is incredibly belligerently excellent in really really difficult circumstances yeah. and a team that is going to struggle be it canada or the dragons yes and he comes on back on for the last five minutes as well which is yeah. great just fancy his encore and fair play to him didn't put his feet up quite yet obviously he goes on to play well no he doesn't go on to play in other world cups he's played in three other world cups we haven't covered so we will get a chance to talk about it again but like just what a player what a hero and a hero both in his time with the dragons in wales where like he's one of the very few non-welsh players in the newport rugby hall of fame to talk about hall of fames again and is also like arguably one of the what like top 10 canadian players of all time yeah easily easily like he'd walk into a canadian all-time 15 yeah he's yeah, such a fantastic player. And it was good that he did get a little bit of representation overseas, you know, playing yeah. for Newport and the Dragons. But yeah, like, if he came through nowadays... Over 200 games. Yeah, exactly, yeah. If he came through nowadays, he'd have very much the same career. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Um, <laughs> if he does come back through uh, and play again. <laughs> Stephen Hoyles falls makes again. a break. Yes, um, he does. The, it's a very strange moment. This Sharpie throws an inside ball to him. Hoyles makes a break and... We've talked about this before. Hoyle's a brilliant lad, like proper cult hero in Australian rugby, not known for pace. No. Uh, and James Pritchard hunts him down, puts in an outstanding tackle on him to stop him just short of the try line. And Hoylesy throws like a quite panicked offload, which Shepard just about picks up and somehow blunders this try. Like he's, he catches the ball on the try line at kind of bootlaces mm. and takes the ball and somehow still doesn't score I think both Hoyles and Shepard deserve equal shit for yeah, this I think so I think, I think so. Hoyles is in a position where he absolutely should score yeah somehow has the negative 20 pace stat yeah. <laughs> the so. thing is the, the fact he was so absurdly slow is a part of why I bloody love Stephen Hoyles yeah <laughs> if he was like you know I don't know like Liam Gill, who was really sure. quick and only got a few caps and was like one of those really vastly underappreciated Australian back rowers, then I wouldn't love him nearly as much as <laughs> yeah. Hoylesy. He was just... He was a grafter, again. He was a grafter. He was a grafter. But like, so there's a moment where you think the pass is on. You're like, why haven't you given the pass? Why haven't you given... When you see he's clearly about to get caught. Mm. And then there's a moment where you're like, oh, is he going to pop it off the floor now? And you're like, oh, he isn't. He's just going to recycle? Okay. And then he does. And he's like, oh, he does everything slowly. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's not just that he moves slowly. Like, he just runs in slow motion. And fair play to him for that. I respect it enormously. Yeah, yeah. Bloody so eventually he pops points. off the floor, he pops it like to knee height, and Shepard's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And he's like, oh no, I am one inch out from the dry line, it's on me if I don't score this. But what I love and about doesn't Shepard is, he doesn't even try to put it down. No. <laughs> like, he, he has his own feet in the way, which I sympathise with, and he just kind of throws it forward. <laughs> when you watch the replay of it from behind in slow motion, it's hilarious, like the blunder on this. And like, I get it, it was a difficult one. 
uh, with a really wet ball and with Canadian defence surrounding you. Like, it can't be easy, but also it is funny as a shit rugby player watching on going, ha ha, I can't believe you didn't finish that, lol. Look, a few years after this, right, Cameron Shepard signed a contract with Northampton Saints. Then, like two months later, and Northampton are like, nah, actually, we don't want you. I was going like, to say, I don't remember that era. Yeah, actually, do you mind just uh, staying at home? <laughs> do you mind not doing this? <laughs> Their quote was, we monitored Cameron co- closely between signing his contract and his scheduled arrival. And after great consideration, we felt on balance we needed more certainty about his ability to handle the tough demands of a long season. Oh, wow. For the duration of the three-year contract. Wow, that's a diss, that is. Yep. We know Cameron has ability and are confident that he will be with another club soon. Okay, Wow. That's, that kind While of we are disappointed that Cameron will not be joining us, we no- nevertheless feel very confident in the ability of our squad to compete in every competition the coming season. <laughs> we have welcomed exciting players like Ken PC, Don Waldock, G.J. Van Zyl. Yeah, yes, yeah. the he's, G.J. Um, threw me off. Yeah, he's a bloody um, captain of the Tel Aviv Heat these days. Oh, nice. Yeah. And Lufa Burrell to Franklin's oh, wow. Gardens, who can offer a great deal of... In number of positions. Well, Ken PC did great in one position, I'll have you know. Yeah, certainly not in a second one. I um, just that uh, there's a proper like shit in the Ken teeth, PC. isn't it? That's not a phrase, but I'm gonna make it one. <laughs> shit in the teeth. Because <laughs> I would hate it. I would hate it if I had a shit in the teeth. Yeah, me too, man. Me too, man. But I wonder if they just saw footage of that try. Yeah. I wonder if they just looked at it and were like. Oh, Jesus, that's what we've signed. <laughs> we need to sign Hoylesey instead. Can we say he won't make a full season? <laughs> yeah. No, Vasily asked me have with you soon, boys. Don't you worry. Yeah, and Ken PC. But McMenamin goes to the line again and gets held up for the second time in the game. Also, never scored for Australia. By, again, Morgan Williams. Morgan Williams. Holds up the same player twice. Yeah. Which is gloriously petty scrum off bullshit. I love Nigel Starmer Smith then says, Oh, Morgan Williams held him up. I've seen him do that before. It's like, well done. Yeah, he did it early in the game on the same player. <laughs> and even if not, like, <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nigel. Yeah. Pretty good one. Andrew Monroe goes for an absolutely heroic, deliberate knock-on that stops Drew Mitchell getting a hat-trick. Yes! Assisted drug avoidance, which is phenomenal. I have him on my shortlist to potentially be a dick of the day, but, like, in a good way, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Drew Mitchell going like has a hat-trick, like, nailed on. Uh, he's, like, about to make a line break, and he's, like, a world-class finisher, but you can't quite give a penalty try for it, A, because Chris White caught it just a knock-on. Because clearly they hadn't clamped down on DKOs no. at this point. But... Yeah, Andrew Monroe just goes like absolutely smacks the fucker away from Mitchell. Goes, you're not getting a hat trick today, sir. And he doesn't. No. My other favourite Andrew Monroe moment from late on in this game. Right towards the end, Australia have a scrum five. Mm. And George Smith is now playing number eight. Yeah. He picks up and Morgan Williams does like a really superb, scrappy, like dives at his ankles, takes them from under him. And Smith just like goes straight to ground. Like a sack of bloody Bud potatoes. And it's a shame because you then see two things happen. One is Smith throws the offload. Yeah. And Andrew Monroe knocks it on trying to get the intercept. The second thing you happen, right? You then see the replay and you see Andrew Monroe is lining up his shoulder to smash right into yes. George Smith. Yes. And he's seen George Smith running. He's like, yeah, I fancy a bit. It's a man who backs himself. Like, he's lining himself. Here's, I want to stress again. A 12 stone, 5 foot 9 fly half who's got a handful of caps for Canada 
And he is lining up George Smith and going like, I'm going to put him on his ass, son. Just watch me. Just watch me. It's great. But unfortunately... Unfortunately, the chance is taken away from him. Yeah. And Australia actually into an Yeah, into an intercept attempt. Yeah, and an Australia score, but no one gives a shit. Yeah, they just kind of go hands down the line and Chris that Latham scores. literally it. They just go hands down the line from the scrum and Canada, at this point, are demoralised. Yeah. I really wish Canada scored in this game. I know. Try. They really deserve to get one try. I'm not going to ask for anything more than that. I'm not going to ask them to get a losing bonus point. I just want them to have had one try. The final scoreline of 37-6 does not reflect the game. No, not at all. But if it was like 13-37, that would be fine. Yeah, exactly. Canada put up a far better fight than that scoreline suggests. Yeah. And I do think that for a large part of the game, they were kind of the, the protagonists, I think. Yeah. And I think that it's hard to kind of reflect that on the scoreboard in a game like this, but... Yeah, uh, good on you, Canada. I think we've more or less spoken about the I think so. main body of the game. There's the a couple one... of other bits, but I'm going to cover them in Dick of the yeah. Day. The one other thing is we move on to Man of the Match. The commentators do have a long conversation about Man of the Match. Yes. Which goes on for about three minutes, and there's like several... Genuine... They aren't picking Man of the Match, by the no. way. So they have a conversation about the fact that Man of the Match has been picked, and it has been given, indeed, to human men, 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 because... The man of the match goes to the player gets held up by Morgan Williams most often. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Most rugby matches that doesn't happen. Yeah. So they've never had to Weirdly, bring in. Like, now it happens in the Pro 14 because Ruben Morgan Williams does it. Yeah. Uh, the Pro 14. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my god! I didn't even realise I said the Pro 14. So it is. <laughs> well, that is the thing that makes Ruben Morgan Williams good, right? He just like keeps eating other scrum halves. Yeah. So like soon he will be Ruben Morgan Williams, Ed Fairhurst. Yeah. And like Ruben Morgan Williams, Antoine Dupont, Ed Fairhurst. Yeah. Like yeah. he just keeps eating more scrum halves. And Those are the next two on his list. Yeah. He just keeps adding. I remember when halves. Ruben Morgan Williams first played for the Wales under twenties, just constantly during that game making references to Morgan Williams, the former Canada scrum half, and just thinking like. I'm glad that you're here, so you're going to get that <laughs> joke. Because our mum was also watching that game, I remember, when he was first playing in the 20s. And obviously I had no idea who Morgan Williams, former Cardinal Scrum Half, was. But you did, so yeah. it was fine. Because that's the thing, right? When they're saying his name on commentary, they have to say Morgan Williams, because that is his name. Yeah. And so it's like the saying his full name. Like it's like, oh my god, we've got a guy who's got the same name as the former Cardinal Scrum Half and Captain. It's like how I remember seeing someone once saying, like, one of my first games of rugby I was ever watching was an island game. And I was really wondering why the commentator kept mentioning that playing in the stadium Gibson Park. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember once, again, our mum saying, Gibson Parks? Is that Hadley Parks' full name? <laughs> this was like when he just signed, like, they both just signed, yeah. like, for their respective clubs. And now eventually, you know, Alas. they eventually became a massive fan of Hadley Parks. So, you know. But yeah, they talk for like, Three minutes, oh, yeah. genuinely two scrums set, they play out and then the scrum has to set again. Like there are entire sets of phases while they're just discussing the fact the man of the match is decided by sponsors at this World Cup. Mm. It was before they did the fan vote in 2011-2015. The sponsors got together and got to decide who man of the match was. And they decided it was Hugh McMenamin. Because this is the thing that everyone forgets is, yeah, rugby has that rule. And whoever gets held up over the line by someone called Morgan Williams most often is man of the match automatically. If not, it's whoever played most in the game. Yeah. All best. And they do this whole spiel about 
Oh, well, a couple of uh, weeks ago, we were talking about... We got this... Uh, basically, I've got this hilarious story, right? It's a really funny story. Are you ready for it, Australian dude? Oh, mate. Um, bloody banging. Anyway, shut up. I've got a story to tell. So, Tango. A couple of weeks ago, story. we were commentating on a game, and Romero Pez was named as the man of the match. And not two minutes earlier than that, myself and Simon Mannix were saying, oh, you know who's had a rubbish game? Romero Pez. He should not be playing. I think it's about time that they hooked him off, Romero Pez. I don't think he's playing for a well, Romero Pez. And then, right, okay, so about a minute later, not even a minute later, we got something in our ears saying that the man of the match, guess who the man of the match was? Wait, 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 wait. Guess who it was? Guess who it was from all the players? Wait, here's the team sheet. Here's the team sheet. Uh, Salvador oh, Paragini. Romero Pez! <laughs> Uh, because we were just saying that he wasn't very good, Romero Pez, and then it turned out they said he was good. But clearly these people don't know what they're talking about. Mate, you could say that the, the man of the match selectors were a Pez dispenser. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do you say, Dave? Oh, David Sol's gone off. He's left a note. I've gone to rescue Romania. Oh, shit. Um, He's in the I cave. shouldn't have said that on commentary. You can say crap. Oh, crap, yes. I shouldn't have mentioned David Sol's whereabouts on commentary, but... Uh, Yes, he's oh, gone to he's gone to rescue some people in caves. Um, it's what he does um, most Thursdays. Okay, okay, noted, noted. Anyway, oh, Australia have scored again. Never mind. So, man of the match. Yes. Oh, Canadian leaving party first. Canadian leaving party. Because you know what a Canadian leaving party needs. I think it needs a bit of CRJ. Canada. Canada rugby team. Good. 2007. What? Play. Rugby. Union. Train. And. Mike? Pletch. Pike. Is. Good. Boy. Excellent stuff. Love Canada. It. So, this is a really, really good can. This has been one of the discoveries of this tournament thing. Yeah. Is how good this Canada team were. Yeah. I think I went in thinking, like, it's the starting point of what goes on to be a good Canada team in 2011. Actually, this is a fantastic Canada team. I think it's simultaneously that and the remnants of a previous really good yes. Canada team. It's kind of the overlap, the isn't interjection, it? isn't it? Of like we've mentioned most of these players early on, so we're kind of rough rids. But like Rod Snow, phenomenal, what a brilliant player. Morgan Williams, like we've spoken so much about him, but one of the revelations of this tournament for me. For me. Yeah, absolutely. I think he is Canada's best player. Yeah, I think he. He's the sort of player, right? If we're doing bloody squid rugby back then, yeah. which we wouldn't be because I'd have been eight and no one wants to hear an eight-year-old go, Oh, it's bloody tactics! Look at You'd this! you 12 in fairness. I'd have been eight. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'd have been 12 and even few people want to hear a 12-year-old And go. weirdly, 2007 was a weird one because for one year I was older than you. Yeah. Um, and then we just decided to change back yeah, after just that. Like, it didn't work. Just isn't working. It isn't working. Yeah. Not it me. was just too woke. People can just be who they want and decide what age they are now. <laughs> But yeah, if we've been doing bloody squish, squiggle, squiggle, ruggle yeah. back then, Morgan Williams absolutely Squeaky. would have been like one of those players I make a point of bringing up at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bubbling under stuff. Because he was absolutely brilliant. For He's me, class. he was Kansas' best player. Yeah. Um, Attack, defence, kicking, leadership, captaincy. Like, yeah, line up, all scrum. Down. Yeah. All, all the rugby. Robbie Knock. Yeah. Yeah, he, he had it all down to a T. Like, hey, he's such a finely tuned player yes with a flamboyant haircut as well but like he was it great. wasn't flamboyant it was like an accountant's idea of flamboyancy and sure. I rate that yeah 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 yeah. didn't play in this game but I think like Spicer in the centres yes. was a really Good really player. great player 
Mike Pike. And there feels like such a direct line between Spicer and Spike, as we know yes, in the previous World Yes, Cup. indeed. Yeah, Mike Pike was a, a good, good boy. boy, but genuinely excellent in this yeah. tournament. I think it, not somebody somebody I knew the name of, but I don't think I'd really seen. I wouldn't be able to He's a really interesting player. kind of focal point for that Canadian background because he yeah. is a player who could have been a superstar if you know, properly brought through. Sure. Uh, yeah. And obviously he goes on to play like six different sports and bounces around and has this fascinating, fascinating career. If he'd had the chance to focus on rugby, if he'd been able to like be brought through a professional team and play there properly, he could have been like a era-defining player yeah, for Canada, I think. for sure. And instead what we got is a really, really talented kid who plays very well. Yeah. And I think his ceiling is much higher than what he managed to accomplish. Sure. Which is a shame, but also what he accomplished was pretty special in this team. Yeah. Again, like looking at the rest of the back line, obviously GTH goes on to achieve such brilliant yeah, things. Yeah, he's a player from a very high ceiling who goes on to be very close to it. Yeah, plays four World Cups in the end. James Pritchard. Wins two Pro 14s. Yes. Say, James know. Pritchard's goated for Canada. And yeah. Like, let's just quickly talk about Justin Mentecoco while we're here. Yeah. Because I had him in man of the match contention for this game. Yeah. I think he's the Canadian player in this game other than Morgan Williams. So I looked at him and thought like, oh, you're really, really yeah. like playing at your best here. And we don't get many opportunities to talk about and this is the last time we would really get to here. And yeah, I think underrepresented in yeah. rugby history, but an excellent player. And Mike James, much the same, I think. Obviously has a very long career and bows out here, but I really, really like him. I'm sure Michael Stevens flew the radar a bit, but I think he's, he's played well. He's been great. He's played really well. Really just solid number eight, isn't he? Yeah. But yeah, I think we're very much in agreement eight, with... There's one name we do need to mention. Go on, quickly. It begins in an A... And then it's a and then it's a the greatest player of all time, Andrew Monroe. Yes, yes. I will let you eulogise about Andrew Monroe. I don't have anything more to say. I've said it plenty of times over three seasons of the podcast. I just talked about Andrew Monroe, and I will continue. Yes. we will be talking about the bloody twenty sixty nine World Cup and going. You know who's good though? Ander Gosh Darned Monroe. Because he is one of the greatest players to ever play. 2059 it'll have to be, because it won't run 69. Yeah, he's just bloody excellent. I love him. Yeah. And he is, for all the novelty of him being this, like, of the Titanium 10, he's also just a really good rugby player. Yeah, he's genuinely really good. He's genuinely really good. So, oh, so yeah. By the way, just quick shout out, Pat Reardon. Yes. What a player. Like, we did this in 2011. We, I think we agreed that he was one of their best players in 2011 and like went on to captain them really solid in this World Cup and you yeah. see why he goes on to become the captain after this one thing we haven't mentioned about this Canada team as well mm. moving to the lineup, they've gone for a bomb squad yeah they went for a 5-2 split didn't they yeah because they went and put two props on the bench which was not the normal time at the time you had one prop on the bench who could cover both sides because they went for the identical twins the Pletch brothers yes Mike and Dan Pletch are identical twins props they both of them on the bench three consecutive mics on the bench by the way Mike <laughs> Pletch then Mike Burak then Mike Webb yes all the teams just called Mike but right okay I think the only way we can end the Canadian leaving party and transition it into the man of the match section is by talking about I would say the most important member of this Canadian team mm. and I'm tempted to give this guy man of the match and that's Rick Suggett absolutely I bloody love him like Genuinely, there's so few coaches where, just from watching them on the sideline, you just feel inspired by them, yeah. and you just get a real sense for what they do in training in the weeks. And these players clearly love getting up and going to work with this guy. Yeah. And as I say, genuinely, I've considered giving him man of the match here, because yeah. he doesn't play, but he makes such an impact on every Canadian game, and is so passionate, and I just... 
every single story that comes out about him makes me feel more and more just I adore him I had absolutely the same reaction absolutely the same thought yeah he is the key to this Canadian team performing well he is a key to Canadian rugby performing well in the noughties yeah he's a huge like obviously Kieran Crowley comes in and does a fantastic job as a pure rugby coach yeah. but as an ambassador and a figurehead for Canadian rugby for there's sure. no one ever better than Rick Soggett I think no he is the the king the the everything to it the fact that he was so passionate he cared as much about Canadian rugby really mattered to him in the way that yeah. wearing socks didn't you know like he cared so deeply in the way that he you know, he brought the women's 15s program up to a level in which it is still yeah still you mentioned like they're battering Australia now dominant. right like yeah. if their men teams played they'd be completely different yeah but it's largely through his influence that made Canadian women's rugby matter back in the early noughties yeah and obviously when he goes on to take over the men's team he gets them punching above their weight massively yeah yeah, we've obviously spoken at length about what a fantastic coach and ambassador he is. And mm. I imagine we're probably not done with him, talking about him in future, because I just I just admire him so much. Yeah, um, well, we might have to be, considering he doesn't go into coach at another World Cup. Obviously, yeah. he's replaced by Kieran Crowley. Does he have coach at a Women's World Cup? Yes, but they weren't televised. So he coached, yeah. Oh, shit, isn't it? Which is a shame. Maybe if we do a Sevens World Cup, we can catch him. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Which shows how early he was on the train as well as women's rugby. Yeah, for sure. To say it's for now, sure. like, obvious to anyone with eyes that it's better than men's rugby. Yeah. Or it should be, anyway. Anyone that doesn't think that just it's hasn't wrong. watched enough women's rugby. Yeah. And you'll have you'll, you'll see the light. You'll see the light. But yeah, I think this World Cup was viewed as a failure by the Canadian Rugby Union. Really? Which, to say the 2019 World Cup was viewed as a broad success, yeah. shows how far they've fallen. Yeah. The fact yeah. that a draw and like being competitive, almost beating Wales and mm. being competitive against Australia, wasn't We went enough. into some depth before about how we both miss Canada yeah. as a rugby force in, in men's rugby. And this uh, World Cup I, really made it kind of feel yeah, 20-fold. It really, really does. And for the likes of Rick Soggett, who's sadly no longer with us, I really hope that they can find a way out of this rut and yeah. get somebody in charge who does know what they're doing. Yeah. We've seen it with Romania. Andy Robinson coming in and they turned around completely. You know, yeah. it's very possible. We saw it with Uruguay. Yeah. You know, and it's 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 open. The pathways yeah. are there. And also, like, Canada are really lucky in that North America is disproportionately fortunate because they get a qualifying slot. Yeah. So, like, they need to win two games to qualify. Yeah. Whereas, like, when Uruguay turned around, you know, when um, Lemoyne came in. Yeah. He, it was such a long process to get them into the World yeah. Cup because they had to win several rounds to quali- get into qualifying and then get further up yeah. and then get into the upper charge. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You've only got to be better than the USA and then, you know, one game. To- the last thing that I would like to say in this Canadian leaving party is Canada, I really, 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 really like you. Mm. I intend to stand on guard for you. Yeah. Okay, let's do man of the match and dick of the day. Let's. So let's start on dick of the day, in fact, because I think you've made yours, or at least one of your contenders, quite clear. Yeah. I think there's a second option. Okay. Uh, Mike Pike. Yes. <laughs> Tell me why. Last play. To quote the Backstreet Boys. Last play of this game. Yeah. Mike Pike, the goodest good boy. Canada get a free kick. Ten metres out from the goal line, would you say? It's a penalty. Full, full on penalty. Oh, I thought it was a... Okay. Yeah, full on penalty. I thought it was a free kick. Okay. Mike Pike goes, I'm taking this. And he randomly bombs it up in the air. 
Bombs is quite generous. Well, bomb in the sense that, like, a movie that makes no money is a bomb. Yeah, sure. You know, in the way that a blown try is a bomb. Yeah. He hangs it as high as he can, like, two metres sideways. It goes horrible. It makes about five metres goes forward. It's and Drew an- Mitchell just takes it in the most un- the most surprised way. It's the most baffling decision, tactically, to, in the last play, bomb it from your own try line with no one chasing. He takes a tap first as well, which implies he wants to attack, and then just... <laughs> nope. It's just... It's a baffling, stupid decision that goes badly. And you either put it out or keep playing. What are you doing? Anyway, so that's a contender, but it's so confusing that... I really don't know. Look, I'm going to stick with Nigel Simon-Smith, but with caveats said earlier, I'm sure he's a lovely man and I hope he recovers well. Yes, but I, exactly. unbearable on this coverage. Yes, all the best to him Look, and his family. And... If I were in a really rough state and someone wanted, someone was doing a retrospective on like my videos on the game, I wouldn't mind them saying I was yeah, a dickhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's like, fine. If someone wants to say that I've been a dickhead in this retrospectively, fair enough, I want you to be yeah. unbiased about that. Please just don't play in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yes. But all the best to him and his family. Obviously. Absolutely. So my dick of the day, we've not actually mentioned him yet, but my dick of the day is in fact George Gregan. Because he comes onto the field with like 20 minutes to go because clearly they were intending to hold back him, Rocky Elson and Matt Gitter, who they all had on the bench, mm. right? And then they realised, wait, Sam Cordingley is playing so poorly that we have to bring Gregan on to like up the tempo. The first thing Gregan does is he knocks the ball on, but that's not the reason why. And it's like, it's funny because it's George Gregan and he likes to poke fun yeah. at other people, you know. And I love George Gregan, by the way, but also he's a proper dickhead scrum off. Yeah, and they're of my favourite brand of rugby player. But my favourite moment from Gregan here is there's a point where he does that classic thing of seeing an offside player like in his peripheral, throwing the ball really hard at them and then chucking their hands up in the air and going, ref, where's the penalty? You know, come on. He does that at one point, except the player he throws it at is the ref. <laughs> yeah, that's that's dick of the day shit. So obviously my dick of the day is George Gregan. And the ref's like, no, you're getting a scrum. You're not getting anything more. I'm the referee, you idiot. And yeah, if you're going to do that, you're going to get dick of the day, George Gregan, because uh, it's just the most typical Gregan shit ever. Fair enough. Should we do Man of the Match? Let's do Man of the Match. So, as I say, Rick Suggett is somebody who's right up there for me. And I'm still tempted to give it to him. I think Julian Huxley, I think, has a really good game, yeah. actually. As I say, Williams, Mensa, Coca for Canada are brilliant. But I kind of have to give it to George Smith. Because mm. I think that, again, he scores that try, comes up with a big turnover. I just think he leads the team through quite a rough patch of that game really nicely. And I think when Australia start doing shit things... He stands up and does like make sure everything is compounded with a positive. Yeah, and I feel like he's really important to them winning this game. I honestly have no strong feelings. This is one of the least full of man of the match contenders game. Agreed, because everyone plays broadly well. Yeah, and there's no one that's like unbelievable, but there's everyone is playing well, so no one kind of stands out above anyone else. Yeah, and I found this is one of the most difficult to pick man of the matches, but not for like. Oh, because everyone's playing incredibly well. Mm. You know, not like that France Australia game. Yeah, in the last World Cup, where everyone played seven. the game of their life. Yeah. yeah, but I was kind of leaning in the same direction as you. George Smith was my kind of default option. I was plumping on with Al Bax, who was another contender. Oh yeah, I think he has a really good game. Scores that first try, gets a nudge in the scrum eventually. After you know, like plays eighty minutes, like really, really fights for you know what he gets. Yeah, for sure. But I think it's got to come down to two men in the end. Do I give it to George Smith or do, do I just go? You know what? I'm giving it to Andy Monroe. Those are my two options. It's your last opportunity. And I want to give it to Andy Monroe. He plays broadly well, but like in a 7 out of 10 way. Is that good enough for Man of the Match? Probably not. 
I don't know, it's your call, man. Your own criteria you're um, picking on. It's not my own criteria, so I'm picking both as man of the match. I'm giving Anderman Rowe a general It's shout. Ramiro Pez, sorry. <laughs> oh, that would have been a great punchline. No, it's George Smith. It's okay, George fair, Smith. Enough, fair enough. I'm not happy about it, but it's George Smith. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Oh, well, thank you very much for your contribution. Are you happy? Yep, the rugby train is still moving. Excellent. Do you intend to stop anytime soon? Yes, next stop is at the racism uh, gate. At the racism gate? Yes, rugby loves racism. Rugby adores racism, mate. Mm-hmm. And we need to think of a chant, but we'll get there. Yeah. Do you know what rugby also loves? What? Uh, sexism. David um, Lyons on the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got plenty of time to think of a Scotland versus Italy chant. For that is where we are headed. Make that our homework. Next. Since we're watching the game. We are moving straight on to 9pm on this day, the 28th, 9th of September, where we have been for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> we are reaching 9pm. Scotland v Italy, that'll be next week at bloody St Etienne. We'll see you then for Scotland versus Italia. Maybe even this week, who knows. Oh, it'll be this week, won't it? Because yeah, we're doing two so. now. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, okay. Anyway, right. see you in a bit. See you later. Bye. (laughs) It's a wonderfully low energy ending. (laughs)